Have you ever had the experience in life where everything seemed to be moving along great and then suddenly you started to feel stuck or that things weren't working as they used to? Have you ever had the experience where you became disoriented because all the things that used to work for you suddenly stopped working? Although it can seem like our problems are very complex and that they have many layers to them, sometimes the solutions are much simpler than we think they are. And if we're able to actually understand what it is that we're doing, the part that we're playing in the difficulties in our lives, it actually makes it a lot easier for us to address it and to have the answers to be able to move through it. So in this episode, we're actually gonna be talking about something that comes from Marcus Aurelius Meditations. And this is my favorite piece that is in Marcus Aurelius Meditations. It is called the five ways that the soul degrades itself. Anytime you're experiencing any kind of suffering in your life, if you're experiencing the feeling of being stuck, if you're experiencing the feeling of becoming triggered, if you're experiencing the feeling of having resentment towards the people that you care about, then this episode will help you to actually see very clearly what is going on inside your system and how to resolve it. So let's get into it. So the five ways that the soul degrades itself. So number one is anytime we become disgruntled with anything, it is a secession from nature. In other words, anytime that we become disgruntled with the outside environment not cooperating with our plans, what we're actually telling ourselves in that moment is that we are separate from nature, that somehow, some way, that the circumstances and the environment outside of ourselves is actually different than who we are. What we wanna remember is that we are actually a part of nature, we are not separate from nature. And a lot of the time, many different thought forms or philosophies out there can sometimes make it seem as though we are these egos that are trapped inside of these bags of skin or these biological organisms called humans. And the idea here is, is that we're not trapped within nature just because we have a consciousness and an awareness of ourselves. So Alan Watts actually talks about this idea in some of his lectures where he quotes Alfred Hausman, where he says, I, a stranger and afraid in a world I never made. This sensation of being alone, this sensation of being disconnected comes from any time that we start to indulge an emotional reaction around things not going our way. And when I say indulge, I don't mean to actually feel the emotions. That that aspect of things is actually very important for us to fully feel what we're feeling. But what I do mean is turning those emotions into a story, into a narrative that creates separation. When we do that, we're actually separating ourselves from nature and making it much harder for us to actually resolve our problems because we're acting as though we are this separate being that is surrounded by a world it cannot control that is filled with chaos. And that's not the case at all. The reality of things are is that as human beings, we are part of nature. We are one with nature. We have the experience of an individual separate experience, but we are not actually separate from nature. We are one with nature. We are one with each other, but we have the dignity of experiencing individuality in our existence. So what's really important is that if, for instance, the weather ruins your plans, like you were planning some kind of an outdoor event, whether it's a wedding or a picnic or a, a sports game, and it starts raining or it starts storming and you get upset by that right? It naturally, it seems like a reasonable thing to get upset by, especially if you had gotten your hopes up or your expectations to do something. But the reality of what, what this is saying is that that is nature's will. And so if we're getting upset at what's happening within nature, we are actually disconnecting ourselves mentally and emotionally from nature and isolating ourselves to be experiencing things 
as though we are separate from all things. And so the idea of this and the way to actually resolve this anytime that we start to disconnect ourselves from nature is to actually remember that we are one with nature and allow the outside environment, allow the universe to actually assist us. Now, how do we do that? The key here is actually very simple. It's easier said than done, but it is very simple if you just remember this. One way that you can connect back with your environment, one way that you can connect back with the universe is actually through gratitude. If you start to ask yourself, what am I grateful for in this situation? If you start to ask yourself, how did life become so perfect? Why is life so perfect? Then what you actually do is you actually get your reticular activating system, your RAS, to start searching for the perfection that already exists in life. And if we do this, we're actually able to create more of a flow with nature. Michael Singer talks about this in the surrender experiment, where he has this entire story of how he just surrendered to life, where he just, in essence, in that book, he essentially surrendered to anything that life would bring him and he would just essentially embrace it. Now, what was really cool about that book is that Michael Singer is doing exactly what we're talking about, but to a masterful level where he is totally aligning himself with nature and allowing these opportunities to come into his life and embracing them rather than doing any resistance. So this is similar to the Taoist concept of Wu Wei, which means that the way without effort, essentially, where essentially we are just allowing things to happen. We are flowing with life. So when we become one with nature, when we start to notice the perfection that already exists, we start to notice all of the signals of when nature is nudging us back to our path. And sometimes when we are denied the things that we're expecting or things don't go our way, a lot of the time we can even think of it as nature is nudging us along and helping us course correct on our path. And if we fight that, then we actually end up creating more challenges, more resistance. So this whole idea of aligning with nature comes from first and foremost, being grateful for exactly where you're at. When you allow yourself to become one with nature and experience that knowing, then what you start to notice is that your intentions become the universe's intentions and the universe conspires in your favor to bring you to the actualization and fulfillment of your highest good. Now, the second way that the soul degrades itself is anytime an individual attempts to harm or bring difficulty to another individual, right? When we think about this, we are one with nature and one with all other humans because we're all existing within nature together. Now, as a human being, you have the dignity of experiencing an individual experience, meaning that you have your own individual identity, your own individual experience that is subjective and unique to you. And that is a beautiful thing. The interesting thing is that even though we're all different, we all share that quality of having a very unique and individual experience that is totally and completely our own in this life. So anytime we try to insult somebody or we try to harm somebody, we are actually harming ourselves. And so when it comes to this idea of being one with nature, it is also to remember that we are one with other humans. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be totally agreeable and that you need to just sing kumbaya with everybody. What it means is to realize that we are all part of the same human family. And so with that being said, it is okay to draw healthy boundaries if somebody is doing something or saying something that goes against your values. But it is also important to simultaneously remember that they are also having a human experience with the same human emotions and probably similar, similar belief structures and stories that are creating the suffering in their lives. So this allows us to have a sense of compassion and empathy for everyone else on their journey. Again, that doesn't mean you need to allow them into your life and be friends with every single person, but what it does mean is as a minimum, 
not to actually harbor resentment for others and not to actually insult or intend harm on others. Because anytime that you do that, your unconscious mind takes everything that you say and do personally. So if you're attacking someone else, your unconscious mind perceives that as you attacking yourself. And the more of that we create in ourselves, the more resentment that we create and the more harm that we attempt to do to another person to prove a point, the more that we're actually going to create dysregulation in our own nervous system and the more we're going to create that a disharmony in ourselves. And so we end up building up emotional debt within ourselves because what we're doing is anytime we're trying to intend harm on somebody or to criticize somebody or to insult somebody, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get rid of the emotional angst or the emotional debt that we have in our system. But that's actually not an effective way of doing so. That actually just strengthens it. Anytime we try to throw our pain at others, it actually just exacerbates the pain and makes it, it activates it more and more in our neurology and actually strengthens the emotions that we are trying to actually get rid of. So the solution to this is anytime that you feel like you want to prove a point to somebody or insult somebody or be blunt with somebody and criticize them, what you can actually do instead is ask yourself, what can I appreciate about this person? Now, if you don't want to go down that road, and find appreciation or compassion for that person, you can always turn this back to yourself and say, what are they doing that is unresolved within me? Because one of the things that Carl Jung says is that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you'll walk around calling it fate. And that the people who annoy us most or who trigger us most actually have the most to teach us because what they're expressing that we deem as worthy of an insult or worthy of attacking them is actually what is most unconscious within ourselves. The only reason that something in someone else will trigger you is that there is some part of you that exists that is unprocessed relative to the thing that they're doing or expressing. So what that means is that if somebody's triggering you with something that they're saying or something that they're doing, you can always turn the question back to yourself and say, what in me is unprocessed that this is reminding me of? Because it's not to say that what somebody else is doing is who you are, or it's not to say that, well, if they're being a jerk, then that means you're a jerk. That's not what it means. Essentially, it can be that you don't actually express the qualities that that person is doing that you find uh, reprehensible or that you find inappropriate. But what it does mean is that whatever it is that they're doing or expressing is actually showing you, it's a mirror that's showing you that this thing is triggering something that is unresolved within you. So if you ask yourself that question and do some reflection with that, you might find a lot more freedom in being able to resolve that within yourself. And the moment that you do, suddenly the things that used to trigger you won't. So if you find yourself harboring that resentment, you can always ask yourself, what do I admire about this person? What must they be going through? In order, what kind of pain must, must they be in to be experiencing and expressing in this way? Or turn the question back on yourself and say, what are they doing that reminds me of what is unresolved within me? And how can I go about resolving that? The third way that the soul degrades itself is when it is overpowered by pain or pleasure. So in other words, anytime that we're overpowered by our emotions. So ultimately what this means is that we are all going to experience emotions, positive and negative as human beings, right? We're sentient beings. We are made to feel things. And at the same time, when we become overpowered with those emotions, then it actually ends up leading us into taking actions or saying things that we end up regretting down the line. And have you ever had the experience where in a height of an emotional situation, you said or did something that you regretted for years and years on end? So the way that we actually resolve this is to not allow ourselves to be overpowered by pain or pleasure. 
So how do we actually go about doing that? In order to understand how we go about not allowing pain or pleasure to be able to control us, we must first understand what is actually happening when we're having that kind of an emotional reaction. So I'll paraphrase this really interesting thing that Viktor Frankl said, where he said that the point of freedom is in between stimulus and response. So there is this empty space in between what's happening in the environment and our emotional reaction where we actually get to decide what our perception is. Now, if we're adhering and aligning to that first thing that we talked about, which is becoming one with nature, then we can actually sit in the stillness and alter our perception into knowing to ourselves that while we cannot control the environment, this environment is one with us. And so if we can find gratitude, if we can find appreciation in these moments, or we can just find a calm, then we don't actually have to be triggered by the things in our environment. So whenever we are overpowered by pain or pleasure, that's when we start to get into the delusion of expediency, which we've talked about at length on this podcast, which is essentially experiencing an emotion and then desiring some kind of instant gratification. So anytime that we're overpowered by pain or pleasure, what ends up happening is we end up indulging in our emotions and attempting to bypass them, right? Instead of actually dealing with our emotions, instead of actually communicating with them and embracing them and fully feeling through them, we try to bypass them. And we do that through a series of what are called bridges of expediency, where you're bridging where you're at emotionally to where you think you want to be, where whether it's a good feeling or just feeling okay or just feeling, feeling stabilized. And we do this through in a variety of ways. We can build that bridge of expediency from going from not feeling so good to feeling good with a variety of things. It could be food, drugs, alcohol, sex, could be watching TV. We can actually even bridge the way that we're feeling with other emotions. And one example of that is like for a lot of people, when they feel fear or when they feel hurt, they don't want to feel that because perhaps they've been raised to believe that feeling those things is weak. And so what do they do? They turn to anger and they use anger as that bridge from feeling the fear that they might be feeling. They use anger because maybe it allows them to feel more in control and that people are paying attention to them. So if you've ever done that yourself, ask yourself, what's the emotion underneath that? And the way to actually not become overpowered by pain or pleasure is to allow ourselves to fully feel the emotions that we're experiencing. Dr. Jill Taylor did an experiment where she actually had a finding where the actual chemical process of an emotion from start to finish takes around 90 seconds. Now, the interesting thing about this is that after these 90 seconds, we just go into thought loops and story and narrative about the situation. Now, I'll take this a step further and say that it's not to say that your emotions will go away in 90 seconds. What it is to say is that most of the time when we become overpowered with these emotions, we don't actually allow that 90 second cycle to actually even complete. So what ends up happening is we start to have all these like half-baked feelings that we're not actually fully feeling through. And instead we're bypassing them and trying to jump into a good feeling from a bad feeling. Now, what does this look like in the grand scheme of our life? It's as if we have countless half-baked emotions, things that we've never felt. So it might actually take us a decade to feel all 90 of those seconds before that emotion has fully subsided. Now, the reason why emotions will stay stuck and clogged within us for so long is because we're not actually allowing ourselves to feel them. So it seems counterintuitive, but the way to actually combat this particular way that the soul degrades itself is to actually allow yourself to fully feel your feelings. And the best way to do it is that when you have an emotion coming on, instead of talking about it and indulging in the story around it, which is another way of bypassing, by the way, 
is just to sit in stillness with the feeling. Notice what it feels like somatically in your body. Breathe through the feeling. The way to actually feel your emotions is to literally sit with them, like literally sit down, feel whatever it is that you're feeling, and breathe through it until your breathing normalizes. And you want to breathe in a way that is actually breathing all the way down into your belly and then having a full exhale out and regulating that breathing. If you do that, anytime that you're feeling any kind of an emotion, you're really allowing yourself to feel it until you get back to that place of regulation, you'll notice that your desire to actually bypass it goes away. And so we want to truly feel our feelings and let them fully process. Because if we don't, and we hold on to anger from when we're a kid for 10, 20, 30 years, then we'll keep trying to bypass it and never allowing ourselves to actually make that full cycle of feeling the feeling. So this is one way that we can do to not allow pain or pleasure to overpower us. One thing that Marcus Aurelius would talk about is that in some ways it's worse to allow pleasure to overpower us because what we're actually doing in that sense is we're indulging in something and we're possibly even manipulating others when we're trying to seek out pleasure. Whereas pain, for instance, is usually very unconscious and a person doesn't know that they're actually doing it. I would say it's not good to allow either one to overpower you and you want to allow yourself to fully feel through the feelings and bring yourself into that place of stillness. The more that you can do that and regulate your breathing, the easier it's going to be to deal with those emotions. The fourth way that the soul degrades itself is when it puts a mask on and engages in deception. So ultimately, as human beings, right, we have many different roles that we play in our lives. Now, the idea here is, is that anytime that we're being insincere, anytime that we're performing or trying to be what we think the world wants us to be, we actually end up doing damage to ourselves. Now, the reason why we end up doing damage to ourselves is because we're being insincere and carrying the mask of insincerity throughout all of our interactions is the heaviest burden that we can carry because ultimately what's happening is that we are lying to ourselves and we're lying to the world. It might not be these big grand gestures of lies, but it's every time we act insincerely, it's us lying to ourselves. So what actually ends up happening when we do that? We actually erode the trust that we have in ourselves. And when we erode the trust that we have in ourselves, suddenly we start to find it difficult to make decisions that are in our highest good. We start to say things like, I don't really trust myself, or I can't decide, or I'm so indecisive. That is actually a symptom of not being genuinely ourselves. The more congruent we can be in who we truly are and being totally sincere by expressing what is present to us, the better that we're going to be able to make decisions, the better that we're going to actually be able to navigate through life in a way that we are totally fulfilled. So there, there's something really interesting that Jordan Peterson uh, talked about where he's, he says that there are two ways to communicate. And the first way is to think of what you want before you go into a conversation and then respond and speak in a way that allows that person on the other end of it to help you fulfill what it is that you want. And what he calls that is the instrumental use of language. So in other words, it's coming in with a manipulative intention to essentially say, I'm gonna say whatever I need to say to get the outcome that I want. So if the outcome is I want this person to like me or I want them to think I'm this kind of a person, then I'm gonna say these things. That is coming from that place of deception and wearing the mask. The other way that you can communicate is just by saying what you think or saying what's present for you and then seeing what happens. Now, this is a much more adventurous way. It's a, it springs a lot more uncertainty because you're essentially putting yourself out there on the line. Now, it's important to understand that this is 
just a part of our lives. This is a part of what it is to be human, is to just have the experience of uncertainty, have the experience of saying what we think and saying what is present for us and seeing how it is responded to. If we are always trying to just manipulate the, the outcome of something, then we're going to find ourselves always living to experience someone else's desires or someone else or what's or someone else's priorities in life and never truly knowing our own. So instead of engaging in this way and feeling like you have to be something for someone else, allow yourself to begin with with something small. So how do you actually take that mask of insincerity off? The way that I did it is because I used to be a huge people pleaser. Like that was my MO throughout most of my life. I would just try and do and say the things that I perceived other people wanted to hear from me, that I perceived other people wanted to um, experience of me. And I remember because I did that, I became very indecisive and I didn't under, I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know what was important to me and what I wanted. So I started with small things, right? Anytime that I wanted to express something, I would just say it. Right. And, and I usually started with like some low stakes things. Like, for example, like if I was at Starbucks and they got my and they like missed something on my order, like let's say I asked for like hazelnut syrup or something in my coffee and they didn't put that and they put vanilla, I would actually speak up and say something. Right. Whereas in the past, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to upset anybody. So you start with things that are small, things that are low stakes. And every time you do something, you speak or you act in sincerity by doing what you actually want, what you authentically want to do, you'll actually start building more and more trust with yourself. Because trusting yourself is not a matter of just saying, okay, I trust myself. It actually comes through actions and words that are sincere to you. The more you act sincerely and speak sincerely, each one of those it, you can think of as a vote in the direction of being your authentic self, of being the most sincere version of you. And so every time you do that, you start to take the mask off and you'll notice that life becomes a lot lighter, a lot funner, a lot more adventurous when you get to just be you. The final way that the soul degrades itself is that it moves through life without purpose or direction. In other words, engaging in drifting, just kind of seeing what happens. Now, what is important in life is to make sure that we are being sincere with ourselves and to move in a direction that we feel is important to us, that we feel is actually allowing our time to be well spent in a way that is meaningful to us. Because the way that we can look at life is that the very meaning of life is to give life meaning. And so when we decide on a course of action, when we decide on something that is truly important to us, what we do is we create purpose within ourselves. Now, if you're wondering on how to find your purpose, you can always check this episode out over here where we talk about how to find your purpose. And one thing that's really important is that when we are moving through life, when we have something, a destination, a goal, a, a something that is worthwhile to us, it actually allows us to move in a way that is much more sincere to ourselves and much more productive, right? We get a lot more done. We feel a lot better about what we're getting done because we have an aim and a purpose. So what's important about this is to actually set yourself some goals, right? If we allow ourselves to just drift and be at the whim of the environment, then ultimately what we're doing is we're just kind of allowing ourselves to move through life in a way that we are just waiting for something better to happen. And that is a that and that is not a very pleasant place to be. When we're just waiting for something better to happen, we engage in a lot of very fatalistic thought where we just think the world and the universe is controlling us and there's nothing that we can do about it. And we put ourselves in a trap in that way. So what you may be thinking in hearing this is that, well, doesn't this contradict with the first one of just being one with nature and just totally embracing everything and surrendering to everything? 
it is paradoxical. I wouldn't say contradictory, but paradoxical. All of these tie in together. And the way that you can think of it is you want to ultimately act and speak in a way that is totally sincere to you. In your sincerity, you create a goal. You create something that you really want to pursue and you align yourself to that goal. Now, while you're taking action towards that, what you may notice is that sometimes things don't go your way, right? You're testing things, you're experimenting things, and sometimes th things are not going to go your way. And then sometimes things will, will go your way. So what's really important to remember about this is that whether they go your way or not, you don't allow yourself to be overpowered by the emotion. You allow yourself to really become centered and to continue in your course of action. And along the way, you want to realize and remember that you're not here to do all this alone. Nobody is truly self-made. What is important to understand is that human beings are made for each other, like Marcus Aurelius would say. And so it's important to treat everybody as such is that everybody is made for one another and that there are other human beings that will help you along your way as long as you're willing to ask for it and as long as you're willing to be compassionate and kind. One of the things that Marcus Aurelius also talked about is how our only job is to be a good human. If we are a good human and we do good by others, then others are going to be much more willing and receptive to help us in our endeavors. And so ultimately, you're putting all those things together and in, in all of it, you are embracing whatever it is that happens around you. You're embracing the failures. You're embracing the successes. You're embracing things not going your way and then you're embracing when things do go your way. And so... And that embrace allows you to become one with nature. And if there's one question I could offer and, re and reiterate from, from the beginning of this episode, that you can always ask yourself when you're feeling lost is how did life come to be so perfect? Why is life so perfect? If you allow yourself to look for the perfection, if you train your mind with that question to constantly seek perfection, it will allow you to become one with nature. It'll allow you to be kinder and more compassionate to others. It'll allow you to truly experience the flow of your emotions naturally so that they move through you rather than getting stuck to you. It'll allow you to be more you and it'll allow you to have a sense of purpose in all that you do. So these are the five ways that the soul degrades itself and how to solve them. So if you enjoyed this episode and you're wondering what the next steps are, I would say the next steps are to actually go and start to create yourself some goals, not just any goals, but goals that actually will set you free within yourself, goals that are truly meaningful to you and that give you a sense of purpose each and every day so that you can align with everything that we've talked about in this episode. So if you go to this episode over here, this is a two-part episode on the Dream the Path goal setting framework. This is the same goal setting framework I use with all my clients and students. Feel free to go check it out. This goal setting framework has helped set people free and allowed them to achieve so much more than they realized was possible. So definitely go check this episode out and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.